The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Wanted to give you a quick update as we as we get started this morning. I know we I talked about it briefly last week. If you were here um, last Sunday worshiping with us, that we were kind of praying and working through. And wanted to, to give you an update um, that two weeks from today, which I believe that's November 21st, if my math is correct, um, two weeks from today we'll be moving our Sunday services indoors back into our into our auditorium. Um, I know the nine the 9 a.m. crowd was much more excited as they were shivering. Maybe they weren't actually clapping. Maybe it was just their hands hitting together as they were. No, so so we are we're excited. So the um, we'll be having both identical services like they have been now at nine and ten thirty. Um, they'll be mask optional indoors. So if you want to wear a mask, you're free to, but we're not requiring it. We will continue to have, which I was not here before COVID, like some of you I think. But if you were here before COVID, you know that we always had outdoor seating available, um, which we will continue to have. So even if you're not inside, but come outside, it will still be a great worship experience as we worship Jesus together as a church family. And I just want to say thank you um, to those of you who have been praying for us and with us as we've kind of journeyed through this process. Um, you know, I know I have a lot of, of friends and colleagues who are pastors all over the country, and they have shared with me how lots of their congregation have shared their strong opinions and thoughts about what churches should and shouldn't be doing over the last 18 months. And maybe it's just because I'm new and all of you still have that in your draft folder and you just haven't hit sent yet. Um, but I've been very blessed by how our church has just been very gracious and loving. Um, and our goal, even as we move indoors, continues to be the same. And that's that we want to be a place to connect people in a relationship with Jesus. And that's what we've led from hopefully this whole time and where we hope to continue to lead in the future. Um, so we're, we're excited for that as we move back indoors in a couple weeks. Let me pray for us as we jump together into scripture this morning. God, we do thank you as we have prayed this morning and, and sung that you're a faithful God. And that as we look back in our own lives, and even as we look back in this church in the last few years, God, we see your faithfulness and your provision for us. And we thank you that your faithfulness gives us confidence as we face the future. God, and we may not know what it holds, but we know you were there. And so we can walk in faith because you are present with us. God, I pray that you'd be with us today, that you would open our hearts as we turn to your word, that you would clear our minds of distractions and allow us to, to deeply understand the truths of scripture. And that as we learn and grow more, that it would transform our lives. God, help us to leave today different because we've encountered Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, open them, if you would, this morning to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, um, the second half of it, starting in verse 17 today. And if you've been journeying with us, we've been going through Ephesians this fall. And last week, I pointed out how in Ephesians chapter 4 is kind of this shift in the book. So in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, the real focus is on like, hey, th this is what it means to be saved. This is who you are in Jesus. This is what Jesus has done for you. And then in chapter four, starting in verse one, there's this shift that takes place. He says in verse one, 
that he urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. So he says, basically, this is how, this is what you have now been. This is who Jesus has made you. Now, this is how to live like it. And that's what chapters four, five, and six really flesh out for us. And I just want to remind you because like sometimes, I don't know about you, but like I, I study scripture and as I'm preaching, right, I typically study like six to 15 verses a week. But when this book was originally written, this letter was sent, it was all read together at a gathering like this. Well, they probably didn't have mics and stuff, but you know what I mean, at a gathering of the church together on a Sunday. And so what Paul is talking about here in this passage and this radical difference in how our lives should look are because of what he's just talked about in the chapters before on this radical difference that Jesus makes. See, it was just two chapters earlier in Ephesians 2, where he, he helps us to understand that we weren't just bad people that Jesus came and made better. We were dead people that Jesus came to bring to life. And for Paul, what Jesus has done is not just some nice improvement in our lives, but he's radically changed, radically transformed us. And so as he fleshes this out, he points in such stark contrast to how our lives were before because he sees Jesus doesn't come around and just change a little bit. Jesus radically transforms our lives. And for Paul, since Jesus radically transforms our lives, it looks a lot different than how we live, than the people around us who haven't experienced this change, who aren't following Jesus, our lives should look so different. And so this morning, as we dive in here to Ephesians chapter four, we're gonna look at three changes that are brought about by Jesus. Three changes brought by Jesus. Verse 17 says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through your deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. This first change that's brought by Jesus is a transformed mind. A transformed mind is brought to us when Jesus has saved us. And we need to live into this. In verse 17, he says that he testifies in the Lord. This is like strong language. Like I urge you, you really need to get this. Pay attention here. And what he's saying here is that, that you shouldn't live like how the Gentiles live. Now, throughout Ephesians, he's often been using Gentiles as an ethnic marker, right? The Gentiles and the Jews, talking about how in Jesus that has been brought to one. Now, here when he's talking about the Gentiles, he's not referring here to an ethnic group, but to the moral sense of people whose lives are disconnected from Jesus. Those who walk in darkness, whose lives are separated from God. And he's saying, you cannot walk as they do. And he paints here a picture of life and our minds apart from Jesus that is, simply put, it's not a pretty picture. Look at these verses. He talks about how they're living in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding because of the ignorance 
that is in them. They are greedy or lustful to practice every kind of impurity because of the deceitful desires within them. This passage is similar to another place in Romans chapter one, where Paul talks about the effects of sin in our lives. And in Romans 1.21, it says that although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, Gentile here, as the Gentiles do, refers to the cultural norms that were contrary to the way of Jesus. Just the world that was around them, that they would be easy to accept because that's the way everyone else lived, but went against scripture. He's certainly not here rejecting Gentiles as individuals, right? Paul has said that he is the apostle to the Gentiles. He's not rejecting them, but the way of life in which they have lived. And several commentators and scholars point out that in our time and in our world, we could very easily put in this verse that we must no longer walk as the Americans do or as the other Californians do. See, we live in a culture that is certainly different than they did 2,000 years ago, but in a fallen and twisted world where what is sinful is now celebrated and what is wicked is now seen to be acceptable by others. And what Paul is saying is, hey, we cannot just blend in with the people around us just because it's the world in which we live. We have to look different if Jesus has actually done something in our lives. And the start, where where he starts with this is he's saying it has to start in your mind. So he talks about how the Gentiles, it's in the futility of their minds. Contrary, then if you look at verse 23, what do we need in Jesus to have our minds renewed? To be renewed in the spirit of our minds. See, apart from being renewed and transformed by Jesus, the human mind is unable to guide us to a life that is pleasing to God. And so much of the battle, the day in and day out battle following after Jesus is a battle that's fought in our own heads. It's a battle in our own minds, which is why in Romans 12, it says not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by what? By the renewal of your minds that God can come and he can change us and he can formulate us to be renewed in our minds so that we think the right thoughts and that as we think the right thoughts about the world and about God, we start to live the right way. There's so many different ways that we could think of the power and, and what it looks like in our life to have our minds renewed, why we would need to seek this out. But I think there's one that's in this passage that I want us to, to focus in on. It talks there at the end of verse 21. It says, as the truth is in Jesus. See, the truth is in Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus contrasted with the truth is contrasted with the devil who is seen as a liar, right? The opposite of the truth. Jesus said of Satan in John 8, that he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And when our minds are not being renewed by the spirit, being renewed by Jesus, we start to fall victim to the lies of this world and the lies that we tell ourselves. 
If our minds are not being renewed, we will just naturally start to believe in the lies of the people around us, the lies of this culture in which we swim. And for some of us, just the lies that you tell yourself, the voice in your own head that isn't the truth conveyed in Jesus. See, when we were young, I bet like you, lots of, like me, lots of you also had certain lies that you were told that you believed in. I remember when I was young, I think probably like kindergarten, first grade age, I remember I went running to my mom and I was like panicked. There was like tears. I was like, mom, 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 I need help. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And she was like, calm down, calm down. What's going on? What happened? I said, I swallowed a piece of gum and it's going to live in my stomach for like seven years. And if I swallow more, it'll just fill up and I'm going to die. That's a lie, right? You don't, the gum doesn't sit there. Right? Or did any of you ever get told a lie that every time you crack your knuckles, you're like giving yourself arthritis, right? Like your teacher was just annoyed by you. That, that's fake news. That's not actual science, right? The worst one of all as a kid is when you're at that awesome pool party and they tell you that after you eat that piece of pizza, you have to wait an hour to get back in. No, no, that is a lie. The truth of Jesus is you get right back in that pool and you keep having fun. <laughs> There are so many lies that go around, right? And those are funny lies, right, that we see through as humorous. But there are serious lies that we believe today about ourselves that lead us away from God. Lies that our culture, our world has just said that we've bought into because we haven't been renewed. Lies that we just tell ourselves. And it's the voice in our head, but we believe it. And we don't allow the truth of Jesus to speak into it. There's so many examples that we could think of together. A few lies that I've heard many times, maybe even my own life. How about this lie? Maybe you've told yourself this one before. I'm not worthy of being loved. I'm not worthy of being loved. People knew what I was like. People knew the real me. Even if my spouse knew the real me, I'm not worthy of being loved. No one would really love me if they knew who I really was. That's a lie that we tell ourselves. How about this lie that my future is determined by my past? And we say, listen, I, I, I've messed up so bad in my life. You, I, my future has no hope. You have no idea. There, there's no possible change for me because of what's happened in my life before. That my past determines what my future will be. That's a lie that we tell ourselves. How about this one? If I trust someone, like actually really trust them, it means that they're going to hurt me later. And so rather than being hurt, I'm just going to not open up to anyone because anyone I open up to will always hurt me. That's a lie that we tell ourselves to protect us. And the list here could go on and on and on. And if we were sitting down over a cup of coffee, we could begin to think of more of the lies that we start to tell ourselves. More of the lies that we've bought in because we just live in this world. And so the question for us is those things that you tell yourself, the thoughts in your head, is that what you're thinking, what the world is telling you? Or is that the truth of what Jesus says? Is what you're telling yourself, is that true what the gospel says, what the Bible says, what God sees in you? Or is that just what you're telling yourself or what you've heard around? See, we need to have our minds renewed. 
And when we don't, we start to fall trapped to these lies. And so many of us are caught up in lies that we've told ourselves over the period of years. And the gospel comes and wants to set us free from the lies that we've told ourselves when the truth of Jesus comes in, that we are loved, we are valuable, that he can change us on and on. So we can't believe the lies. We need to ask for this renewal of our minds that the truth of Jesus would transform and change our thinking. Let's jump back in. Verse 20, he's talking about this contrast. He said, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The second change that Jesus brings is a transformed identity, a transformed identity because of what Jesus has done for us. He uses here an image that's used several times throughout scripture. In verse 22, he says to put off something, right? Take something off, put it off. And then in verse 24, to put on, put something off, put it on. A very similar passage to this in Colossians chapter three, he says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. In fact, in Romans 13, he actually says this, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. When we are encouraged here to put on the new self, what it means is to live into this new identity that Jesus has now given to us. It's an identity that's rooted in righteousness and holiness, contrasted with the lies and the deceit that was before. And when he says this, put on, some translations actually translate this phrase to clothe yourself, right? Clothe yourself with the new self or clothe yourself with Christ. It's this identifying marker of the Christian. See, if you were to to leave here today and go downtown and you saw someone walking around with scrubs on, you would probably think to yourself, hey, that's probably a nurse or a doctor because their clothes give away their identity. So too, when we put on Christ, it should be seen to the world around us that something is different. It's a differentiating marker to our world that we belong to God and we are his. So when we think of this new self, this new identity that we have in Jesus, this identity refers to our sense of self and our sense of worth and purpose in the world. See, in in our mostly Western world, as most of us come from, it's a very individualistic culture, right? And so we are told to, to be who you want to be. The greatest thing that you can do is to be true to yourself, But what's unique about this identity that we have in Jesus is this identity is something given to us by God. It's something given to us by God. Now, 
I've been greatly helped with this idea of our identity in Christ by the pastor Tim Keller, who's written and spoken a lot about this in recent years. And he, he talks about how this identity in Jesus is so unique and it makes Christianity unique from all other religious backgrounds of the world. Because see, in Christianity, you just believe something. You have faith in Jesus and Jesus gives you a whole new identity. He just gives it to you. It's something you receive. There's no achievements measured. It's not, well, if you read your Bible, this much after you followed him for this long. No, the moment you believe in Jesus, you receive this new identity. You are a new creation. You have the new self. Contrast with every other way of getting to God, where it's if you do enough, if you work hard enough, if you follow him for long enough, if you give enough, basically you can earn this new identity. But in Christianity, it's something that we are given, not something that we have to earn. And when we realize our identity in Christ, it can really help us because it helps us from keeping us from one of two extremes. When who we are, our greatest sense of purpose is found in Jesus. It helps us in two extremes. First, it helps us in the face of success, right? When we get the new job, when we get the bonus at work, when we get the accolades, we can start to think that, oh, this is all about me. But when our identity is in Jesus, we realize, no, I'm still the same. I'm still the same because of who I am in Jesus. Regardless of the successes that I have had, I am still the same person because my identity is not found in this position that's now new or whatever I have, but it's found in Jesus. So our identity in Christ helps keep us from pride in our successes. But our identity in Jesus also keeps us from despair in our disappointments. See, when we lose the job, when our pay gets cut in half, we don't see ourselves as somehow less valuable or less worth because our identity was never in that. It was always in Jesus to begin with. And those things will come and go, but it's not our sense of value and purpose that's found in him. And in the midst of loss, it holds onto us and we don't despair because our identity is not found in these other things, but it's found in him. Our identity in Jesus is something to be lived into daily. Notice this is who you are. You are the new self, but we're still called to put this on, to live into this. And one of the most important battles that we face each and every day is where we place our identity. Where do I find my value? Where do I find my worth? Is it in anything else other than in the fact that I am a child of God? Because when we put our identity in other things, it ultimately will disappoint and lead to despair. This is a battle that I certainly have fought and still am fighting in my own life. I've shared this story with lots of people in different groups. I don't think I've shared it too publicly here since we moved. I was, before I moved here this summer um, to work here at the church, I was at a, a different church in the Midwest, and it was a pretty large church. And I was actually an internal candidate at this church for almost a full year to be their next lead teaching pastor. This is a church where on Sundays when I would preach, I'd preach to thousands of people, broadcast to thousands of people all over the world. To be in this new position that I was being considered for and interviewed for for almost a year would have meant not only being able to preach to a lot of people, it meant podcasts, it meant radio programs, it meant conferences, all of these other things. And none of those are bad at all. But along the way, I started, and it wasn't like one day it just happened, but along the way, it started to creep into my head that, man, if I get this, this 
is what will bring me success. This is what purpose looks like. This position, this is what real value is. This is how I can contribute this position, which is why when the position didn't work out, I was so devastated because my identity had gotten wrapped up into something good, but in something other than Jesus. Now, I remember after that position had gotten taken away and it wasn't going to be mine. I remember I had multiple sleepless nights. Now I sleep great. So this is very rare for me. And I remember one of those nights as I literally was just laying in my bed and I could not sleep. I cried out to God, like, how could you do this? What were you doing? What is going on? And he said, I could, I could still just sense his presence whispering to me. He said, Michael, am I not enough? Am I not enough? Like you're putting yourself, your identity in this calling as a pastor to a certain number of people or to do this. He's like, is not your identity in me? And it doesn't matter where I have you, Michael, your identity is in me and you are my child and that has to be enough. And so often we don't realize the things that we've placed our identity in until they're pulling away from us and our worlds begin to collapse on themselves. But when we place our identity in him, the core of who we are in Jesus, it sustains us through the ups and the downs, through the good and the bad. So the question for us today is where are we finding our value and our worth? Is it in Jesus, what he's done for us? Are we seeking after it in external things and other things, allowing these to inform us because the call of God on our lives is to put on this new self, to live into this identity that we have in him. Verse 25, therefore having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. But be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This third change that's brought by Jesus is transformed living. Transformed living. Now, this is kind of a quick like list here of all of these different things. This is what the Christian life looks over. And this is what the life of the new self is characterized by. And he does it by, in each of these kind of quick verses, he frames it with the negative, the positive, and then the motivation for why we should do that. Right? So we're just going to work through these together. The first one is that, that Christians should be people who are truth tellers, that we tell the truth. Right? The negative, put away falsehood. You've put off the old self, put away falsehood. The positive, speak the truth to one another. The motivation, because you are all members of one body. He's saying this, hey, listen, if you get your unity in Christ, that you as a church, he's speaking here to the body of believers, are united to one another. You wouldn't lie to someone else because you're hurting yourself. If you actually understand that together you are united as one body and you wouldn't intentionally hurt yourself. So don't lie to your neighbor because you are together apart 
of the body of Christ. In verse 26, he says, be angry and don't sin. That's the negative. The positive is to limit your anger, right? Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. The motivation to give no opportunity to the devil. Now, I want to pause on this one because I think for, for a lot of us as people, anger is our default negative emotion, right? Anytime something doesn't go our way, for most of us, anger is what happens quickly after that. And so oftentimes when this verse is read, we're like, yeah, yeah, okay, put away anger. But Jesus got angry, right? Jesus got angry, to which I would say, yes. And newsflash, you aren't Jesus. Just in case you were wondering, take that one home with you today, all right? You aren't Jesus, all right? James 1 says, human anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And why I want us to pause on that is because the statement afterwards is so profound, that if we are not quick to limit the anger in our lives, to deal with it and to move past it, what happens, verse 27, we give opportunity to the devil. See, anger is a sin that opens up our hearts to all sorts of other avenues of wickedness because we are opening up our hearts to Satan to come and work in when we hold on to anger. Anger happens. And what he's saying here is, okay, get angry. And then before sunset, literally just get over it. Like, don't live your life in anger, because if we live lives in anger, we are just asking for more hurt, more pain, more sin to enter into our lives, because we are giving the devil an opportunity into our lives. He continues, the third one is stealing, right? Stop stealing. The positive, work, right? Labor, the motivation is so that you would have something actually to share, that you would give generously to others. The next one, let no corrupting talk, right? This negative, if you focus on speech, stop speaking to each other in such a way. The positive, what is good for the building up of the body, the motivation, so that it would benefit others, that literally our words would be those that give grace to one another around us. Verse 30 says, not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He kind of puts that in. That's kind of the motivation for all of this. That in our lives, we wouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but that we would live in such a way that it is in line with the Spirit and his work. And then lastly, he kind of has these ethical, he throws out all of these words real quick. The negative is basically to remove these harsh traits from our lives. Right? Wrath, slander, anger, malice. The positive is to take on gentleness, right? To be kind, to be tenderhearted, to be forgiving. The motivation as God in Christ forgave you. But the motivation for forgiveness isn't, well, do they deserve it or not? Is the motivation of forgiveness is, have I been forgiven? And if the answer is yes, then I'm to forgive. And the answer, by the way, if you're a Christian, is always yes, you have been forgiven by Jesus. And we forgive not because they deserve it or not, but because Jesus has forgiven us. I really like what one scholar pointed out about this kind of list here of these quick bullet points of what the Christian life should look like, these attributes. As he says, they're both relational and reflective. They're relational and reflective. Notice as you read through here, how all of these things have to deal with relationships amongst one another, right? The way we talk to each other, our anger towards one another, how we steal from one another, all of these different things, telling the truth to one another. These are traits that are practiced in the body of Christ. Because if these things here are true, 
then the church can be united. And as these things are true, the church stands out in the world. Right? Our world is not quick to forgive one another. Right? We are quick to turn on one another. And if the church was a community that started to live this out, our world holds on to anger. They don't get over their anger. Our world is all about lying to make themselves look better, not to putting it away. And so he's saying is the body of Christ should look different as it relates to one another. And ultimately, that's not only relational, but it's reflective, meaning this, that as we live this way, it points to God. As we live this out in the world, it points to something beyond ourselves and it actually points to Jesus. See, what Paul is saying is not try really hard to do all these things so that you look really good. He's saying, do all of these things so that Jesus looks good. Do all these things so that God looks great in our world because our lives look so different than the people around us. See, these followers of Jesus lived in this world that was so contrary to what the truth of the gospel had. And so do we. So do we. Our world looks so often so contrary and as we, as a church family together, live into these truths, the truths of the gospel, as we allow the love of Christ to invade every part of our lives, as we display this unity, this togetherness, this quick to being forgiven, we put away our anger, we treat one another with kindness. As we live into this, the goal is not just that people go, wow, Morgan Hill Bible Church, there's some really nice people. But they say, wow, Morgan Hill Bible Church, they must serve an awesome savior. That's the goal, that through how we live our lives, Jesus would be seen and evident. Not that we would look good, but that he would look great to our worlds. God, we do pray that you would help us in the midst of this fallen and broken world in which we live to live in such a way that brings glory to you. God, and we do pray for this area in which you've placed us. God, we ask that the work of your spirit would go forth and change hearts and lives. And as they see members of our church living out what it means to follow Jesus day in and day out, God, would you be brought glory? Would you do a work in this city, in this county, through our church, through the lives of believers committed to following after Jesus and living in such a way that points people to him. May we do this for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.